Hello, and welcome to the latest Inquisitive Prosecutor's Guide podcast. This edition will be covering a recent California Supreme Court case on the factors a trial court must consider in deciding whether to quash a criminal defense subpoena for social media records of a victim or witness. The case is entitled Facebook versus Superior Court of San Diego County, but the real party in the interest is a guy named Lance Touchstone. So when referring to the decision, we're just going to refer to it as the Touchstone case. To discuss this case is a man who has handled more than his fair share of motions to quash third-party subpoenas, Santa Clara County Prosecutor Dan Kasabian. But before Dan joins us, a brief credentialing announcement. This podcast will provide 65 minutes of MCLE general credit. Dan, thanks for joining us. You made the rookie mistake of suggesting IPG cover the case at Touchstone, and now you have to pay for it. Jeff, no mistake here. It's my pleasure to talk to you about an issue so near and dear to my heart. Discovery subpoenas. What prosecutor doesn't look forward to getting notice of one of these from defense counsel? Hmm. Well, Dan, this case and the issues it discusses are a must-know for prosecutors, as defense requests for social media records of witnesses and victims are already an everyday occurrence and will only be increasing. So, how did this case originally arise? Well, the defense issued a subpoena to Facebook for records, and Facebook fought it all the way to the Supreme Court. But rather than just deciding the issues raised by Facebook, The Supreme Court dived into the facts of the underlying criminal charges and going through several issues. Here's what I can best glean from the Supreme Court opinion and the lower court of appeal opinion. The San Diego DA's office charged the defendant, Lance Touchstone, with shooting and attempting to murder Jeffrey Renteria. Renteria was the boyfriend of Rebecca, who was the defendant's sister and Renteria had moved in with her. The defendant joined them for a few days to visit his sister. The morning of the day Renteria was shot, Renteria hid Rebecca's firearms and some of the defendant's ammunition by placing them into a secure container in Rebecca's attic. Renteria then left the home sometime after that. Why did Renteria hide the firearms in the ammo? The opinion doesn't say what motivated Renteria. But the rest of the facts imply that Renteria justifiably felt threatened by Rebecca and the defendant that day. So what happened after Renteria left the home? Renteria began receiving increasingly aggressive messages from Rebecca. Renteria responded to Rebecca and the defendant by saying, if you try anything, you're going to go to jail for a long time. Renteria also told them that if they were setting him up for something, then they would be arrested. Nevertheless, Renteria said that he would return home to speak with Rebecca. Did Renteria uh, eventually go back to the residence or the home? Yes. After sundown, Renteria returned home. He unlocked and entered the front door. The defendant and Rebecca were sitting on the couch. The defendant raised his gun and shot Renteria. Was Renteria armed when he entered the home? No. And we know this because Renteria took pics on his cell phone after he entered the home. And those photos showed Renteria was unarmed. I should note that this version of events is from the preliminary examination in the case. And these facts as elicited at the preliminary hearing played a role in the Supreme Court's analysis. Hmm. All right. Anything of significance to the issues in this case occur after the shooting? Yes. So after the shooting incident, Renteria posted updates of his physical recovery from the hospital. He requested private messages over the Facebook messaging system. And on the public portion of his Facebook page that is visible to all Facebook users, Renteria posted updates of court hearings and asked his friends to attend the preliminary hearing. Also in the public posts, Renteria discussed his personal use of guns and drugs and apparently described his desire to rob and kill people. All right, 
So when does the whole business with the defense subpoena get rolling? So five months after the preliminary hearing, the defense issued a subpoena to Facebook demanding all of Renteria's Facebook communications, including restricted posts and private messages. They made a related request that Facebook preserve all such communications. The subpoena was supported by a sealed declaration that described and quoted, but didn't attach, certain public Facebook posts by Renteria after the shooting. And according to the defense, those posts revealed Renteria's violent general musings. The sealed declaration stated, it is unknown whether additional relevant posts have been made to Renteria's Facebook page that are not visible to the public, or whether additional relevant messages have been sent through the Facebook messaging system that have not been disclosed to defense counsel. Through this subpoena, defense counsel seeks to preserve and obtain the stored contents of Renteria's personal Facebook page. The records are relevant, material, exculpatory, and reflect upon the character and propensity for violence of the prosecution's key witness. Wait a second, Dan. Did I hear you right? You just told us what was in a sealed declaration. How do you know what was in the sealed declaration? Well, because before deciding this case, the Supreme Court unsealed this declaration. Typically, courts don't unseal things sua sponte. But there is a rule of court, 8.46 subdivision F subdivision 3, that specifically allows courts to do so. For those listening and interested in learning esoteric appellate sealing rules, remember that one. Okay, I'm sure a lot of people will do that. But let's get back on track. So what happened after the defense counsel requested the records uh, on Facebook be preserved and disclosed pursuant to subpoena? Well, the trial court ordered Facebook to comply with the subpoena or appear in court to address any objection to it and to preserve the account and uh, the related stored communications. Did Facebook comply? Yes and no. Facebook did comply by preserving Renteria's Facebook account, but it did not comply with the order to produce. Instead, Facebook moved to quash the subpoena on the grounds of the Federal Stored Communications Act, or we'll be using SCA for short. Okay. And that prohibits disclosure of the contents of the account. Accordingly, Facebook asserted the defendant could obtain the requested contents directly from the victim or by working with the prosecutor to obtain a search warrant based on probable cause. What did the uh, defense do in response to Facebook's uh, motion to quash? Well, not surprisingly, the defense opposed the motion to quash. The defense disagreed that the SCA applied and prohibited disclosure. The defense claimed that it had established the requisite plausible justification based on facts recited in the defense's publicly filed brief. Well, what facts were those? What, what facts did they allege which purportedly established the plausible justification? Well, the defense alleged three facts, which, by the way, created a misimpression according to the Supreme Court in its opinion. First, the defense claimed that on the day of the shootings, the defendant noticed that Rebecca's personal guns and ammunition were missing from the apartment. Second, the defense claimed when the defendant contacted Renteria about this, Renteria made threatening statements to harm the defendant and Rebecca, causing them to be concerned, alarmed, and afraid. And third, the defense claimed that Renteria burst through the front door and charged at them just before the defendant shot him. Now, in conjunction with the defense brief opposing the motion to quash, the defense filed a second sealed declaration. Okay. Did the defense explain why they tried to file a sealed declaration? Yes. They provided the standard reasons the defense gives for seeking to file sealed declarations in a criminal case. The declaration was privileged within the meaning of the federal constitution, you know, the Fifth Amendment, and that it constituted protectable work product. The defense also stated it was confidential as to Renteria. The defendant claimed that the redacted declarations had been narrowly tailored in order to protect both these rights. 
while permitting interested parties to respond substantively. Okay, so you said there was like a first sealed declaration, then a second sealed declaration. Did the defense add anything uh, in, in the second de sealed declaration? Yes, the defense claimed that the content they were seeking was relevant because it may contain a few things. First, additional information that is inconsistent with the information previously provided by Renteria to law enforcement and the prosecution as it related to this case. Second, information might demonstrate a motivation or character by Renteria for dishonesty in this matter. Third, the additional information might demonstrate a character for violence by Renteria that is relevant to the self-defense that will be asserted by defense counsel at trial. And fourth, the additional information might provide exonerating, exculpatory evidence for the defendant. And how did the trial court rule on the motion to quash? Well, the trial court denied Facebook's motion to quash and ordered Facebook to produce the contents of the victim's account for in-camera inspection. Did Facebook uh, produce the contents? Nope. Facebook sought a writ in the Court of Appeal directing the trial court to vacate its order denying the motion to quash the subpoena. Facebook contended the trial court abused its discretion by denying the motion to quash and ordering production of documents for in-camera inspection because of the Federal Store Communications Act, or SCA, which prohibited Facebook from disclosing the contents of its users' accounts in response to a subpoena. Now, in an attempt to foreclose the argument that failure to disclose the records would violate the defendant's constitutional rights, Facebook also alleged that the defendant could obtain the contents directly from the victim or through the prosecutor via search warrant, even though defense counsel had represented that the prosecution refused to issue a search warrant for the material and that she'd been unable to locate the victim to serve him with the subpoena. When it gets up to the Court of Appeal, what does the Court of Appeal do? The Court of Appeal held Facebook did not have to provide the records because it was barred from doing so by the federal SCA. All right, could you tell us maybe a little bit more about the issues raised in the Court of Appeal? Well, maybe a little later, because the Court of Appeals was focused on different issues than the ones the Supreme Court actually took up. The holding by the California Supreme Court, with one exception, largely ignored the issues raised in the Court of Appeal. These are issues that our audience should care about, but we can discuss them later in the podcast for our diehards. That's your strategy. Even though the California Supreme Court originally granted review on those same issues. Yes, well, you know, I'm following the California Supreme Court's lead because ultimately the Supreme Court focused its opinions on other issues. So let's stay focused on what the Supreme Court said, and then we can get to the Court of Appeal issues that were left for another day. Okay, got it. Now I know that after the California Supreme Court allowed the San Diego District Attorney's Office to intervene, the court asked for a briefing on a couple of other issues, issues that they didn't originally take it up on. Can we talk about those issues? Nope. At this point, I'll just say that the Supreme Court asked for a briefing on a lot of issues, but it ultimately focused on just one in its opinion. So let's get to that one first. Then we can gild this lily on this very entertaining podcast. Okay. And to be clear, the Supreme Court didn't even decide the one issue that they really took up. So this is one of those roadmap cases that didn't give the parties resolution, but gave us a primer about how to resolve this issue with one of those multi-factor tests that we must use when the issue comes up in our cases, which makes this case so important. Okay, Dan, I'll take your deflection as an ingenious attempt to build up the suspense and interest of our audience. With that in mind, what issue did the California Supreme Court actually ultimately discuss? It's the same issue we face time and again when it comes to defense subpoenas. That is, whether the underlying subpoena was supported by good cause. And if it wasn't, should the trial court's denial of Facebook's motion to quash the subpoena, say in this instance, be vacated and the matter remanded to the trial court for further proceedings regarding that motion? Why did they pivot in this way, Dan? Well, the Supreme Court likely shifted its focus when it reviewed the sealed declarations filed by the defense and the court realized that good cause hadn't been shown. 
Because if good cause for the disclosure of those records didn't actually exist in this case before them, all the other issues were kind of moot. Hmm. Did the defendant, by the way, object to the California Supreme Court unsealing uh, the declaration you mentioned earlier that the, a sealed declaration had been unsealed by the California Supreme Court? No. Even though once the declaration was unsealed, the Supreme Court was able to take the defense to task in a very public way about how the defense had mischaracterized the circumstances the defense claimed showed good cause in the declaration. Hmm. What exactly did the California Supreme Court do once they decided to focus on this, uh, this issue? Well, after noting that there was a lack of a clear roadmap or set of factors to be applied by the trial courts in deciding whether to grant a motion to quash a subpoena dishes taken directed to a third party, and because of the lack of a full adversarial engagement in the trial court due to the declarations being sealed in this case, the Supreme Court decided to use this opinion to issue a set of guidelines highlighting seven factors that a trial court must consider and balance in situations like this one. The Supreme Court then held that, in light of these guidelines, the trial court in this case erred by conducting an incomplete assessment of the relevant factors and interests when it found that the defendant established good cause to acquire the communications sought from Facebook and denied Facebook's motion to quash. Accordingly, the Supreme Court directed the Court of Appeal to remand this matter to the trial court with directions that the trial court vacate its order denying the motion to quash and conduct further proceedings consistent with the guidelines set forth in this opinion. The Supreme Court also ordered the trial court to consider the good cause issue anew with the full participation by all three parties, the defendant, Facebook, and the prosecution. So really, they did not find the records should or should not eventually be disclosed. They just laid out basically how the decision to disclose or how to decide whether or not to disclose should properly be reached. Yes, although the court's opinion had very strong undertones that could cause could not be shown, at least without additional reasons beyond what had already been put forth and that the trial court would have to make such a finding uh, or might have made such a finding were it not so quick to allow the defense to proceed ex parte and under seal. All righty then. Let's get to the heart of what the California Supreme Court did. What did the California Supreme Court say about how trial courts should proceed when faced with motions to quash subpoenas for third-party records sought by the defense in a criminal case? So the Supreme Court began by discussing the law with the general procedures for subpoena deuces taken in a criminal case. The court noted that Penal Code Section 1326 allows various officials or persons, including defense counsel and any judge of the Superior Court, to issue a criminal subpoena deuces taken. It also observed that, unlike civil subpoenas, there's no statutory requirement for good cause in the affidavit seeking the subpoena before the subpoena may be issued. Hmm. Isn't that kind of inconsistent with the whole idea there's got to be good cause for the subpoena to issue? No. So don't confuse issuing a subpoena with obtaining the records sought by a subpoena. As the Supreme Court pointed out, a criminal subpoena issued pursuant to 1326 does not command or even allow the recipient to provide materials directly to the requesting party. So under subdivision C of section 1326, the sought materials must be given to the superior court for its in-camera review so that it may determine whether or not the requesting party is entitled to receive the documents. So, while no substantial showing is required to issue a criminal subpoena deuces tecum in order to defend such a subpoena against a motion to quash, the subpoenaing party must at that point establish good cause to acquire the subpoenaed records. In other words, at the motion to quash stage, the defendant must show some cause for discovery other than a mere desire to benefit of all the information. So as a practical matter, 
they could add information at the motion to quash stage. Okay. Does this mean that if a defense counsel subpoenas records and no objection is made to their release, in other words, let's say no motion to quash, the subpoena is made, does the court then automatically issue, uh, provide the records in response to the subpoena? So some of the Supreme Court's discussion in Touchstone of when good cause showing is required could be interpreted that only when a motion to quash is made is there a need to show good cause for the record's release. Otherwise, disclosure should be automatic. But for the reasons elaborated upon in the IPG memo that accompanies this podcast, that is not the correct interpretation. A judge is still required to review the records and determine whether there is good cause to release them to the party who subpoenaed them. So that said, as a practical matter, if the records appear to be freely provided in response to the subpoena and there's no obvious reason for keeping them from the party who subpoenaed them, courts are likely to find good cause and disclose the records. All right. Did the California Supreme Court mandate that certain factors be taken into consideration by the trial courts when deciding whether to release subpoenaed records from third parties? Yes. And mandate is exactly what they said they did. These are not suggestions as to what the trial court should do. These are factors that the trial courts are required to consider. The California Supreme Court does not want it to be that easy to get access to subpoenaed records, especially those of the nature sought in the Touchstone case. These factors were largely drawn from an appellate court opinion from the late 80s called City of Alhambra versus Superior Court. Although the Supreme Court added some additional considerations that now must be taken into account. Dan, what was the first factor? Well, first, did the defense carry its burden of showing a plausible justification for acquiring documents from a third party by presenting specific facts demonstrating that the subpoena documents are admissible or might lead to admissible evidence that will reasonably assist the defendant in preparing his defense? Or, by contrast, does the subpoena amount to an impermissible fishing expedition? Then isn't whether there is plausible justification for release of the records just another way of saying there must be good cause for release of the records? No. The court cleared up any confusion in that regard by stating that plausible justification is not synonymous with good cause. While it is the most important factor, the plausible justification consideration is but one of multiple factors that, together, reflect a global inquiry into whether there is good cause for a criminal subpoena. It is included within the overall good cause inquiry and not an alternative to that inquiry. This is an important distinction uh, and development because even relatively recently, California Supreme Court decisions like Kling v. Superior Court used unclear language that suggested records should be released upon a showing of good cause or plausible justification. So the court also wanted to seem to elevate plausible justification into a standard that was not easily met as it had been before. The court wanted the subpoenaing party to make a connection between the records sought and the issues in the case. The court said plausible justification must in all cases be so substantiated as to make the seizure constitutionally reasonable. Well, Dan, I I note that for the government to conduct a constitutionally reasonable search, even with a warrant, there's got to be probable cause to believe evidence of a crime is going to be found. Is the court sort of stating that a defendant must make an analogous showing, something like probable cause to believe uh, there would be evidence showing a crime was not committed? that would be found in the records? You know, that's an interesting question. That wasn't expressly stated, but the Supreme Court did say that because even submitting the restricted posts and private messages on social media to the judge constitutes a significant impingement on the social media user's privacy, the plausible justification must be subject to even closer examination in absence of an apparent relationship between the alleged crime and the sought private communications. And the court indicated that just because it's possible 
that material in a prior or subsequent social media post may be relevant to something that the defendant would like to reply upon, that doesn't equate to a plausible justification for an in-camera review of the materials by the trial court. If you think about it, why should someone have less privacy in confidential communications when the information is sought by a private party compared to when the information is sought by the government? So, at least when it comes to confidential or private information, the showing required may be somewhat akin to probable cause. Well, what about the second factor, Dan? So the second factor the Supreme Court said must be considered is whether the sought material is adequately described and not overly broad. Do you see a parallel to search warrants, which must also adequately describe the material sought and not be overly broad in order to comply with the Fourth Amendment? I do. I do. What about the third factor, Dan? Well, the third factor is whether the material is reasonably available to the entity from which it is sought and not readily available to the defendant from other sources. So in other words, in cases involving social media posts and messages, courts should be asking whether the defense can subpoena the information directly from the victim or the witness. This concept does not have a parallel when it comes to search warrants. What about the fourth factor? Would production of the requested materials violate a third party's confidentiality or privacy rights or intrude upon any protected government interest. In other words, whether the materials sought are confidential or privileged comes into play twice in deciding whether to release subpoenaed records, as it is both a factor in assessing good cause and a primary consideration in whether the records should be released even if good cause for their release is shown. Okay, that's an, that's an important point, which I think California Supreme Court uh, highlighted in this, in this opinion. In any, in any event, there's definitely heightened scrutiny when it comes to privately posted social media communications. Yeah. Uh, when assessing whether there's a need to disclose non-public content from social media, trial courts must review the publicly available information that has been provided, like the non-private posts and messages, in order to determine how substantial is the need for the private content. The Supreme Court did not appear to believe that good cause could likely be shown based on general desires for character evidence impeaching a witness when it came to non-public communications. Does this heightened scrutiny that's applied when they're seeking non-publicly posted communications mean that such communications will never be released in response to a subpoena? No. So for example, in Touchstone, the Supreme Court referenced its earlier decision in Facebook versus Superior Court Hunter from 2018 as an example of where there was a case where the nexus and justification for intruding into a victim's or witness's social media posts, both public and restricted and private messages, was substantial. In the Hunter case, the defendant sought social media communications related to a homicide victim, as well as for a key witness, where there was significant evidence that the underlying shooting and resulting homicide may have related to and stemmed from social media posts. The information about the homicide victim was sought not for character impeachment, but one, to directly challenge the prosecution's experts' anticipated testimony that the underlying shooting was gangly and two, to locate exculpatory evidence in an attempt to establish a self-defense or imperfect self-defense in light of the victim's public posts showing that he was a violent person who had previously threatened the defendants and others on social media. Also, the information about the witness was sought to obtain yet more of her violence-inflected social media posts so as to impeach her by emphasizing her threats made to others and to argue that her testimony against the defendants, one of whom was her former boyfriend, was motivated by a jealous rage. In addition, the witness had been implicated by others as the driver of the car used by the defendants when shooting happened. So the Supreme Court in Hunter believed these facts gave the defense a more specific basis 
for seeking the communications of the victim and witness beyond identifying general character impeachment evidence. Okay, this kind of contrasts with what the showing was in the Touchstone case. What was the fifth factor they looked at, Dan? Whether a subpoena is timely. A subpoena can be untimely because it's too late or because it's premature. Well, when would a request be premature? It can be premature if the request is made before trial and involves records that are privileged or confidential. In those instances, courts have the discretion to deny disclosure on that basis alone. Is this factor sort of an indirect reference to People versus Hammond, a California Supreme Court case from 1997, which upheld a trial court's refusal to review or disclose at the pretrial stage discovery of statutorily privileged psychotherapy information that had been subpoenaed by the defense over, um, they, they upheld it over objections that failing to uh, allow for the release of these records at that stage would violate defendant's federal Fifth Amendment due process rights and his Sixth Amendment rights of confrontation, cross-examination, and counsel. In part, probably, the issue of the continuing validity of Hammond, insofar as it allowed trial courts to decline to review privileged information in general at the pretrial stage, was raised, but not reached, uh, in Facebook v. Superior Court, Hunter 1, the Supreme Court case from 2018. Nor was it reached in Touchstone. In People v. Caro, another Supreme Court case from 2019, the issue was also raised, but the Supreme Court declined to reconsider the Hammond rule in that case. Although the court in Caro did recognize the advent of digitized, voluminous records may conceivably raise new and challenging issues when it comes to pretrial discovery in general. For now, Hammond remains binding precedent, although the nature and volume of the records might influence a trial court in deciding whether it is too early. Is a trial court required to deny release of subpoenaed psych records or other confidential information of a witness if the subpoena request is made before trial? No. Hammond just held that there's no constitutional right to pretrial review and discovery of privileged information. But this does not mean a trial court is prohibited from reviewing or granting disclosure of privileged material pre-trial. It just means the courts should be especially reluctant to facilitate pre-trial disclosure of privileged or confidential information that, as it might turn out, is unnecessary uh, for use or uh, to be introduced at trial. What was the sixth factor the California Supreme Court said a trial court was required to consider in making this determination of whether good cause exists for release of the records. The sixth factor is whether the time required to produce the requested information necessitated an unreasonable delay of the defendant's trial. And this is kind of related to the seventh factor. Which is? Well, would production of the records containing the requested information place an unreasonable burden on the third party? Dan, all seven factors must be considered. Is that the directive from the California Supreme Court? Yes, all seven factors. Moreover, while a trial court is not required to issue a written decision concerning its ruling, a trial court ruling on a motion to quash, especially one that involves a request to access restricted social media posts and private messages held by a third party, should bear in mind the need to make a record that will facilitate appellate review. The Supreme Court instructed trial courts to, at a minimum, articulate orally and memorialize in the reporter's transcript that it considered the seven factors that the court must balance when ruling on a motion to quash. Aside from these seven factors, did the California Supreme Court provide additional guidance for trial courts confronted with subpoenas for third-party records? Yes. If the subpoena seeks information implicating privileged or confidential information of a crime victim, the court stated the California Constitution as amended to incorporate Marcy's Law, calls for yet an additional special inquiry. A victim has a right to prevent disclosure of matters otherwise privileged or confidential by law and to refuse a discovery request by a defendant. Moreover, Subdivision C1 of Section 28 allows the prosecution to enforce these and other victims' rights. The constitutional provisions contemplate that the victim and the prosecuting attorney would be aware that the defense has subpoenaed confidential records regarding the victim 
from third parties. Accordingly, when a victim's constitutional privacy rights are implicated, it would be appropriate for a court to inquire whether such notice has been or should be provided. And where the holder of the records has preserved the sought after information, hence presumably addressing concerns about possible spoliation by the social media user, notice to a victim or social media user should be provided in order to facilitate the victim's confidentiality and related rights. Just so I'm clear, Dan, is the California Supreme Court saying that when a subpoena seeks materials that are privileged or otherwise confidential, the court must engage in a balancing test even after the trial court has considered the seven factors and good cause for their release has been shown? Yes. As discussed by Justice Hofstad in California Criminal Discovery, the fifth edition, this was a treatise that was lauded in the Supreme Court opinion. Mm-hmm. If the third party, opposing party, or court asserts that the subpoena documents may be privileged, then the court must take an additional step. Not only must the court find good cause for the disclosure, the court must also assess, one, whether the documents are privileged, and two, if so, whether the subpoenaing party has an interest that overrides any applicable privileges. Did the California Supreme Court say anything about the desirability of the defense proceeding as it did in this case by way of sealed affidavits or ex parte showings? Yes, the Supreme Court discouraged that practice. The court recognized that Penal Code Section 1326 explicitly permits criminal defendants to make necessary showing of need for any sought materials outside the presence of the prosecution if necessary to protect defense strategy and or work product. But the Supreme Court also said trial courts should not allow sealing in this setting unless there's a risk of revealing privileged information and a showing that filing under seal is the only feasible way to protect that required information. The Supreme Court said proceeding ex parte is generally disfavored because doing so may lead judges, uninformed by adversarial input, to incorrectly deny a motion to quash and grant access to pretrial discovery. The Supreme Court pointed out that when proceeding ex parte, the moving party's representation is often abbreviated because no challenge from the opposing party is anticipated at this point in the proceeding, and the trial court is deprived of factual and legal contentions from diverse perspectives that can be essential to the court's initial decision. The Supreme Court said that there's a real danger in that situation that the order may sweep more broadly than necessary. In addition, the Supreme Court said The decision as to whether to allow the defendant to proceed ex parte and by way of sealed documents must take into consideration the people's right to due process and a meaningful opportunity to effectively challenge the discovery request. So then is a trial court required to balance the people's right to due process? We do have a state constitutional right to due process and a meaningful opportunity to effectively challenge the defense request against the defendant's constitutional rights and the need to protect defense counsel's work product. Precisely. And a trial court has discretion to balance those competing interests in determining how open proceedings concerning the subpoena should be. However, the Supreme Court cautioned that if a trial court does conclude, after carefully balancing respective considerations, that it is necessary and appropriate to proceed ex parte under seal and hence forego the benefit of normal adversarial testing, the court assumes a heightened obligation to undertake critical and objective inquiry, keeping in mind the interests of others not privy to the sealed materials. Then earlier in the podcast, you said the California Supreme Court directed the Court of Appeal to remand the matter to the trial court with directions that the trial court vacate its order denying the motion to quash and conduct further proceedings consistent with the guidelines that they laid out. Did the California Supreme Court ever explain more precisely in what ways the trial court had messed up? Yes. So first, the Supreme Court strongly suggested the trial court should not have been so quick to give credence to defense counsel's assertion of the need for the information 
without considering the preliminary hearing transcript and facts which would have come from the prosecution or Facebook had the defense been required to proceed through the usual adversarial process instead of being allowed to proceed ex parte and by way of sealed documents. The Supreme Court pointed to three separate factual representations made by defense counsel that were called into question by the facts as elicited at the preliminary hearing and exhibits from the Superior Court. So this is where they took the defense counsel to task a little bit. What, what were those questionable representations? Well, one, the defendant represented that he and his sister feared Renteria had taken his sister's guns from their home. But testimony at the prelim suggested that at the morning of the shooting, Renteria had placed Rebecca's firearms and some of the defendant's ammunition into a secured container in Rebecca's attic. So at the prelim, Renteria repeatedly confirmed that he had hidden the weapons in the attic. An officer who responded to the shooting further testified at the prelim without challenge by the defense that during a search immediately following the shooting, those same guns were found in Rebecca's room. This testimony appears to suggest that the defendant and Rebecca had themselves found the firearm and magazines, placed them in her room, and hence would have had no reason to believe at the time of the shooting that any of those items were in Renteria's possession. With regard to the defendant's second factual recitation that Renteria had threatened that he was coming to harm the defendant and his sister, the prelim transcript revealed the contrary. Renteria testified that after receiving increasingly aggressive messages from Rebecca, he had responded to Rebecca and her brother, the defendant, telling them that if you try anything, you're gonna to go to jail for a long time. And that Renteria had told Rebecca and the defendant that if they were setting him up for something, they would be arrested. And then with regard to the defense's third factual recitation, that defendant, I mean actually Renteria, burst through Rebecca's front door and lunged at the defendant and Rebecca, the prelim revealed the contrary to this as well. Renteria testified that soon after sundown, he told Rebecca by phone that he would return to the house to speak with her. Renteria testified that after unlocking and entering the home's front door, and immediately before he was shot, he was holding only a smartphone, which he used to take photographs of the defendant while the defendant, sitting on a couch with Rebecca, raised his gun and prepared to shoot Renteria. Those two photos taken by Renteria and other related photos taken by police officers all were introduced as exhibits at the preliminary hearing, and they showed a person identified as a defendant sitting back and cross-legged on a sofa, apparently in the early and then later process of raising his gun while seated next to Rebecca. The defendant and Rebecca appeared to be approximately six to eight feet from the front door where Rentieria stood and took pictures in the room. This evidence is in tension with the narrative that the defense counsel represented to all three levels of the court until recently. That Rentria burst through the door and that he lunged at, apparently in a, an inferentially posed death threat, to defendant or his sister. Thus, defendant's characterization of the facts in his presentation to the lower courts and in the Supreme Court appeared inconsistent with the evidence submitted at the preliminary hearing. So this is significant for a couple of reasons. One, it kind of is a cautionary tale to uh, courts, trial courts, to let them know that you know they got to carefully look at not only what defense counsel is saying, but also they need to kind of take into account other additional evidence in deciding whether or not good cause is shown. Then, uh, in what other ways did the California Supreme Court find the trial court uh, erred? Well, the Supreme Court also pointed out that the trial court made no express mention of, let alone explicit assessment concerning the primary good cause factor, whether the defendant had shown plausible justification for acquiring crime victim Renteria's restrictive posts and private messages. The trial court also failed to explicitly address the potential overbreath of the subpoena. The trial court did not adequately consider defendant's ability to obtain materials from other sources, such as the messages recipients or friends who could view, review Renteria's restricted posts and private messages, 
and the trial court did not assess nor balance any confidentiality or constitutional interests or privileges that Renteria might have, including possible rights under Marcy's law in securing notice and avoiding cooperation with defense counsel and disclosure of his restrictive posts and private messages. The Supreme Court advised that in assessing the present defendant's primary basis for plausible justification to acquire and inspect the sought restricted posts and private messages to support a claim of self-defense, an appropriate inquiry would focus on the facts as alleged in the briefs and also as reflected in the preliminary hearing transcript in order to assess whether a claim of self-defense is sufficiently viable to warrant that significant intrusion. Well, typically, uh, courts deciding good cause for disclosure of subpoenaed records, they don't really consider evidence aside from the declarations of counsel alleging the need for the records. However, do you think that uh, the California's Supreme Court's direction to consider, like the preliminary examination transcript in assessing good cause, suggests that they want trial courts to engage in a more comprehensive review when they're deciding whether or not to release these records that would entail looking at additional evidence, even evidence not provided by the parties, in assessing whether good cause had been shown. I think that's a fair inference. At the very least, the Supreme Court wants to see a more robust review of the showing of good cause by the trial courts. Did they provide any other direction to the trial court in Touchstone? Yes, when it comes to the defendant's secondary basis for plausible justification, which was to impeach prospective witnesses like Renteria, the Supreme Court said an appropriate inquiry would consider whether such a significant intrusion is warranted and necessary to facilitate the contemplated impeachment. The Supreme Court wanted the trial court to consider the fact that the defendant had already acquired not only Renteria's public posts, which the defendant asserted contained substantial relevant information, but also, and perhaps more importantly, Renteria's probation reports, which in turn detailed his prior convictions and contained other substantial related impeachment information. So it might not have been so necessary for the impeachment they were seeking because they already had a lot of it. <laughs> exactly. The Supreme Court seriously questioned whether the trial court should have allowed defense counsel to proceed ex parte and to file under seal the key declaration exhibits opposing the motion to quash as this prevented both the district attorney and Facebook from learning what public posts the defendant relied upon and being in a good position to assess whether the posts supported a finding of good cause for the underlying subpoena. Finally, the court cautioned because the subpoena sought restricted social media posts and private messages in the absence of an apparent relationship between the underlying crime and such communications, the trial court should examine even more closely the proffered showing of plausible justification in support of such a privacy intrusion. And the Supreme Court said that if the defense were allowed to proceed ex parte and under seal, the trial court should take on a heightened obligation to undertake critical and objective inquiry keeping in mind the interests of others not privy to the sealed materials and to make a record allowing for appellate review. All right, so that kind of gets to the substance of the case. Earlier, you had mentioned there were quite a few issues raised in the case that the California Supreme Court did not decide. But there was one issue they did have a little bit to say on, right? Yes, so one of the issues left undecided by the Supreme Court in Touchstone was the original appellate issue of whether Facebook qualified as an electronic communication service provider and was subject to the Federal Store Communications Act, or SCA, with which, subject to certain exceptions, expressly prohibits such a service provider from knowingly divulging to any person or entity the contents of a communication of the kind sought by the defendant. The district attorney and the defendant in Touchstone argued that Facebook's business model of mining its users' communications content, analyzing that content, and sharing the resulting information with third parties to facilitate targeted advertising precluded Facebook from arguing they were prohibited from complying with the subpoena by the federal SCA. In response, Facebook claimed that the Supreme Court in its earlier decision in Facebook v. Superior Court Hunter had already decided Facebook was barred by the SCA from complying with subpoena. 
the Supreme Court in Touchstone did not decide whether or not Facebook was barred. But the court did say this was an open issue that was not decided by the Hunter case. In that case, the Supreme Court assumed that Facebook did qualify without ever considering the claim that Facebook's business model took Facebook out of the scope of the SCA and thus outside any prohibition on Facebook's release of the subpoenaed records. It is worthwhile noting that when this issue is raised in the trial courts, prosecutors should take a look at the concurring opinions of the Chief Justice and Justice Cuellar in Touchstone. The Chief Justice laid out the pros and cons of the argument that Facebook does not qualify under the SCA, and she seemed to favor an outcome agreeing with the prosecution and defense rather than Facebook. Justice Cuellar's opinion is shorter, and he did not seem to tilt one way or the other, but suggested the parties focus on the underlying intent behind the SCA when it was enacted. All right, in, in that regard, Dan, when this issue about whether or not the federal SCA would bar Facebook from releasing these records, should prosecutors argue that the prohibitions imposed by the federal SCA on disclosure of information kept by entities that provide electronic communication uh, uh, storage services, uh, ECS, or remote computing services, RCS, that they do not apply to Facebook or similar entities, even though that position would in some, in some way assist the defense in trying to obtain the records. Well, Jeff, assuming the defense can otherwise show entitlement to the records, if Facebook is correct and the only means by which defense can obtain the information is through use of a subpoena, then several other issues will necessarily arise, especially if the defense can show the records contain material favorable evidence. Depending on the circumstances, and it's not clear how those issues are likely to be resolved, it creates potential risks to convictions even if the trial court agrees the defense is not entitled to the records. For example, if Facebook is correct that the federal SCA does prohibit them from disclosing private social media posts or communications of their users, some or all of the following issues will have to be resolved. And these issues you're about to tell us about, these are the issues that the California Supreme Court like originally took the case up on. Exactly, and left okay. for another day. So what were these issues that will have to be resolved if... Facebook's correct. Well, there's many. First, does the supremacy clause in the federal constitution prohibit enforcement of the subpoenas by a state court? Second, can a trial court compel a subscriber or a witness who is also a recipient of private electronic communications from the victim to consent to disclosure of the electronic communications for an in-camera review? Third, what procedures or protections exist or may be implemented to prevent a witness from deleting the communications in the meantime? Fourth, if the prosecution lists the victim as a witness who will testify at trial, does the trial court have the authority, pursuant to statutory or inherent power, to control litigation before it and ensure fair proceedings to order the victim witness or any other listed witness on the pain of sanctions, to comply with the subpoena served on him or her, seeking disclosure of the SOC communications subject to an in-camera review, and any appropriate protective or limiting conditions, or consent to the disclosure by a provider like Facebook subject to an in-camera review and appropriate protective or other limiting conditions. Fifth, would a court order requiring a witness or victim to either comply with the subpoena subject to an in-camera review or appropriate protective or limiting conditions or consent to disclosure by a provider like Facebook, again, subject to in-camera review or appropriate protective or limiting conditions, be valid under the Stored Communications Act? And does it make a difference if the order is made during trial as opposed to pretrial? Sixth, may the trial court acting pursuant to statutory or inherent authority to control the litigation before it and ensure fair proceedings and consistent with the SCA, specifically 18 U.S.C. section 2702, subsection B3, order the prosecution to issue a search warrant 
under Section 2703 of the SCA for the private social media communications. And what would be the effect of any of the California Constitution, Article 1, Sections 15 and 24 on such an order? Well, those are a lot of tricky issues, Dan. Yeah, that's right. And we don't even know how they'll be reserved. But if the SCA does not apply to Facebook or similar entities because their business model disqualifies them as either an ECS or an RECS provider under the SCA, then most, if not all, the issues disappear. Moreover, the argument that Facebook is or its similar entities are not subject to the SCA prohibition on disclosure of information rests on pretty solid reasoning developed by the San Diego prosecutor who argued the Touchstone case, Carl Huso. Hopefully I said his name correctly. And if the records are disclosed because the trial court agrees the SCA does not apply, then convictions are not placed at risk on appeal. Accordingly, if the trial court has properly considered all the factors discussed in Touchstone and disclosure of the information is not otherwise improper, it is respectfully recommended that prosecutors take the position that the SCA does not bar disclosure of the information. All right. Uh, good arguments in support of finding the federal SCA uh, is inapplicable to Facebook and other entities that follow a similar type of business model that you know, sort of mines its communications content, that analyzes the content, shares the resulting information with third parties to basically facilitate advertising. Uh, all those, those arguments, good arguments in that regard, can be found in the concurring opinion of Chief Justice Kentil Sakuwe, and in the brief filed on July 26th by DDA Huso. Uh, we provide a link in the IPG member accompanying this podcast. There's like 32 briefs attached to this, uh, the, this decision, uh, but you will get a summary of these uh, arguments pro and con, not only to a certain extent in the IPG, but also in a bench memo that we've drafted to accompany this IPG memo. Now, on a different topic, Dan, do you think the rules governing subpoenas for third-party records will apply equally to subpoenas for social media records requested by the prosecution? In the abstract, yes, and some will uh, in practice as well. Uh, for example, the prosecution, no less than the defense, must establish good cause for the release of third-party records. Whether the material is adequately described and not overly broad should be a factor, regardless of whether subpoena is issued by the people or the defendant. As would whether the material is reasonably available to the entity from which it is sought or available by other means, whether the material sought is privileged or confidential, whether the request is timely or premature, would necessitate an unreasonable delay of the defendant's trial, and whether it would place an unreasonable burden on the third party. However, in most cases, when the information sought is private text messages or other messages or posts from social media sites, the prosecution will have to proceed by way of a search warrant because those items are subject to the California Electronic Communication Privacy Act of 2015, which is a whole other act that applies independently of the federal SCA and generally precludes the use of a government subpoena for the purpose of investigating or prosecuting a criminal offense. It requires a warrant or comparable instrument to acquire such a communication. Moreover, federal case law requires a search warrant instead of a mere subpoena or court order before a government entity may obtain private electronic communications. So as a practical matter, you will not see government subpoenas for most types of information that can be provided by Facebook though there are some exceptions to the California law that would permit us to use the subpoena in some limited type of subscriber information. Requests. Yes. So as mentioned earlier, the California Supreme Court in People versus Hammond, that's the case from 1997, which held that uh, courts should be especially reluctant to facilitate pretrial disclosure of privileged or confidential information that may uh, turn out to be unnecessary and is not ever going to be used at trial, that remains good law. 
But Hammond doesn't absolutely prohibit trial courts from acting on a subpoena pretrial, even for privileged records. Thus, if a trial court is not inclined to delay reviewing third-party records, especially those that potentially Im implicate privileged or otherwise confidential information of, of victims or prosecution witnesses until trial, should prosecutors consider asking the court to at least delay disclosure until additional information that might bear on whether good cause can be shown is elicited at the preliminary examination? Prosecutors should certainly consider asking the court to delay review and disclosure until after at least a preliminary examination, at least in those circumstances where the testimony of the victim or a witness at the preliminary examination might potentially eliminate or diminish the need for accessing confidential or private records of that victim or witness. Support for taking this approach can be found throughout the Touchstone opinion, which repeatedly highlighted ways in which the assessment of good cause would have been enhanced by consideration of the preliminary hearing transcript. Failing that, and especially if the defense has filed a sealed affidavit or the record sought would implicate privileges or the state constitutional right of privacy, prosecutors should consider providing trial courts with as much information as possible through police reports, witness statements and declarations, so that the court can better assess whether the defense has shown good cause for release of the records in advance of trial. Presumably, Dan, prosecutors are only going to be seeking to oppose the release of records uh, when they have a good reason for doing so. Otherwise, uh, the opposition may be counterproductive. I mean, the information sought by a defense may actually help show the defendant is, is in fact innocent, or could it help inform plea negotiations if it's disclosed? At a minimum, early release of the information can avoid later delays of trial. Now, it's true, there's a, you know, Penal Code Section 1326C allows the defense to keep the information obtained pursuant to these subpoenas hidden until disclosure is required by the California uh, Criminal Discovery uh, provisions, Penal Code Section 1054.3 in particular. But you know what? Nothing stops a defense counsel acting in good faith from agreeing to share whatever information is disclosed, perhaps in exchange for a promise from the prosecution to refrain from filing a motion to quash or otherwise oppose release. And if the documents are released to a defense attorney who chooses to keep the records hidden, the prosecution can always attempt to seek access to those records based on information that must be provided to the prosecution, notwithstanding Penal Code Section 1326C. Yeah, whether the defense attorney agrees to those mm -hmm. conditions or other restrictions, such as subjecting the records to a very restrictive protective order, might speak to the motivations for seeking the records and whether there's a plausible theory for exculpatory information or if it is really just a fishing expedition to get personal information about the victim for improper leverage of some sort. Dan, one last question. One of the reasons provided by the defendant in Touchstone for why requiring the defense to pursue other available avenues to obtain the information, i.e. by subpoenaing the uh, subscriber directly, was not feasible, was because they said such a subpoena would put the subscriber on notice that the records are being sought, giving the subscriber a chance to destroy the records. Regardless of whether the SCA's prohibition against release of the information applies to Facebook, do you think a simple request to preserve data can be made to an entity such as Facebook in conjunction with a subpoena sent to the sender or recipient of the electronic communication? Well, in footnote 13 of Touchstone, the California Supreme Court implicitly recognized that notification to a victim whose records were sought could be done after the entity storing the victim's communications, such as Facebook, had been subject to an order for preservation presumably addressing concerns about possible spoilation by the social media user. This suggests that an order for preservation could be served on the service provider, Facebook in this case, regardless of whether a subpoena on the provider would be proper. Moreover, there's no reason to believe that a preservation order to the subscriber could not be issued when seeking records from the subscriber himself or herself. I'm talking about the victim or the witness. Mm -hmm who posted on social media. A preservation order would potentially avoid some of the issues involved when it comes to the scope of the federal SCA while also addressing the concern that the victim or witness
will delete the communications upon receiving the subpoena. Makes sense. Well, Dan, I've run out of questions, so let me take this uh, quick opportunity to thank you for joining me, and uh, we'll see you again as soon as we get a published opinion on some of the still many outstanding issues relating to subpoenas for social media records. Um, if you're trying to sucker me to show up again, uh, I respectfully decline. <laughs> well, we can talk about that later. Anyway, uh, thanks again for joining me, and uh, to our audience, thanks again for tuning in.